Waco Report is a weekly public affairs program providing independent media coverage of environmental and ecological studies with a focus on local, state, and regional people, issues, and events in order to foster open discussion of human relationships with nature and the earth and to encourage you to take personal responsibility for living sustainably in the world. Eco Report is produced by an independent team of volunteers working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana. And financially supported by listeners like you. Hello and welcome to Eco Report. For WFHB, I'm Patrick Callanan. First today, we have a WFHB environmental news brief with our reporter, Katrine Bruner. For WFHB, this is your environmental news brief. I'm Katrine Bruner. Scientists have issued a warning of an invasive species of poisonous plants that are migrating from the woods to backyard gardens and neighborhood parks across Indiana. The poison hemlock, first discovered in Indiana five years ago, is fatal if eaten by people and animals, including young children and pets. The severity of the poisoning is dependent on how much is consumed. The plant is best identified by its purple stems. Researchers ask that if you come across this plant in your neighborhood, then it is possible to remove them with the help of gloves, long sleeves, and even goggles, as even touching the plant can be dangerous. The U.S. Environmental Protection Agency is considering a modification of the qualifications needed for waterways to fall under the protection of the federal government. The current 2020 law does not include waterways that are only covered by water on a seasonal basis. Due to this missing piece of protection, Indiana lawmakers recently passed a bill that removed protection for 800,000 acres of wetlands across the state. The EPA is holding virtual public meetings to help create a new and clear definition of waterways. The public is welcome to join the virtual meetings. Researchers are advising gardeners to be prepared for the final heat waves of the summer by protecting their plants from heat stress. Most plants become stressed when the weather is too hot and too much water evaporates. Researchers urge gardeners to water their plants early in the morning in preparation for the hot day, but be sure not to overwater and cause plants to drown. A similar method to protecting plants would be to add fertilizer and mulch, which can help reduce temperature and trap moisture in the soil. In order for plants to survive the heat, it is important for them to have adequate care. That's all for your environmental news brief. For WFHB, I'm Katrine Bruner. And now for your environmental headlines. The Indiana Business Journal reports that Indianapolis is nearing completion of replacing existing streetlight bulbs with LED bulbs and also installing 1,600 new streetlights. Mayor Joe Hogsett said in a news release, 
quote, there are few other city programs that offer so many benefits at once. This program enhances the safety of our neighborhoods, improves the efficiency of tax dollars, and reduces the greenhouse gases emitted into our environment. It is truly a win-win-win for Indianapolis, end quote. Indianapolis suspended streetlight installation in 1980 over budget constraints and didn't lift the moratorium until 2016 when Hoggs had launched his Operation Nightlight. So far, Indianapolis has retrofitted nearly 27,000 of its traditional Cobra Head streetlights with LED bulbs. The city paid nine. $3 million up front for the retrofits, according to the mayor's office. Crews have also installed at least 1,600 new lights of the 2,000 approved so far by the city, many located in the darkest parts of Indianapolis. The project has a goal of installing 2,000 more. Quote, this program has helped promote equity in neighborhoods as residential streets and corridors throughout Indianapolis have received better, safer lighting, end quote, said City County Council President Vop Osili. The LED lights are brighter but use half as much energy, require less maintenance, and have a longer lifespan than older high-pressure sodium bulbs. Installation of new streetlights will continue through 2025 as the city continues to plow savings from the retrofitted high-efficiency LEDs back into installations, according to the mayor's office. Savings have topped $1.9 million so far. A spotted lanternfly was found in Indiana for the first time in Switzerland County last week, the farthest west the insect has been found. This federally regulated invasive species has a detrimental impact on plant growth and fruit production, especially in vineyards and orchards. A homeowner in Vivay contacted the DNR's Division of Entomology and Plant Pathology with a picture that was taken outside his home. State staff surveyed the site and discovered an infestation in the woodlot adjacent to a few homes in the area. The site is within two miles of the Ohio River. DNR and USDA are conducting an investigation to determine exactly how large the infestation is and where it could have come from, as well as how to limit the spread and eradicate the population. The spotted lanternfly is a plant hopper that originated in Asia. It was first discovered in the United States in Pennsylvania in 2014. The Pennsylvania Department of Agriculture tried to limit the spread of this pest, but it excels at being a hitchhiker and is often spread unknowingly by humans. The adult spotted lanternfly has two sets of wings, and the underwing has a very distinct red color with spots on the outer wings. They can be spread through trade materials sold in infested areas that are shipped out of state, including nursery stock, outdoor furniture, lumber, etc. Anyone receiving goods from the East Coast should inspect for signs of the insect, especially if the commodity has been kept outdoors. If you see this insect, contact the Department of Entomology and Plant Pathology. <music> Indiana consumer and environmental groups 
say a proposal by Centerpoint Energy to replace a retiring coal plant with the two new gas combustion turbines is unnecessary and financially and environmentally destructive. The Southwest Indiana Utility, Centerpoint Energy, wants to replace its retiring A.B. Brown coal plant with two new gas combustion turbines and a 24-mile pipeline to serve them, a proposal consumer and Environmental groups are blasting as financially and environmentally destructive and unnecessary. Centerpoint is asking the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission and a number of other federal and state agencies for permission to build the pipeline through Kentucky and Indiana, passing under the Ohio River. Opponents argue that the costly turbines are not needed since they would be peaker plants intended only to meet occasional high demand, as the company noted in its filings. The Brown plant already has a 160-megawatt gas peaker on site. Quote, After the proposed gas combustion turbines are built, they propose to run them 2 to 10 percent of the time, end quote, said Samir Doshi, senior attorney in Earth Justice's coal program, which is representing Citizens Action Coalition in state and federal proceedings around Centerpoint's proposal. The utility, which serves 145,000 customers, plans to close the Brown Coal Plant by 2023 since required environmental investments, namely replacing outdated scrubbers, are not economical. It also cited the cost of dealing with coal ash, including byproducts from the scrubbers. Centerpoint argues that continuing to run the coal plants through 2029 with necessary investments made would mean a $35 a month increase for an average residential ratepayer. Building the two new gas turbines would mean a smaller increase of $23 a month for that customer. Others maintain that neither the coal nor new gas plants are necessary. One element not part of this discussion is the very distinct possibility of wind energy coming into Indiana from either Kansas or Iowa. It's likely that if the wind is not blowing in Indiana, there will be wind power from an expanded grid. The power from the west would connect to the existing grid at Sullivan. The Indiana Environmental Reporter indicates the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency will hold a series of public meetings in August to hear perspectives about a planned revision of waterways that fall under federal protection. The EPA announced it would hold five virtual public meetings in August to hear what the public believes the federal government should consider when drafting a new definition of waters of the United States. The WOTUS definition declares that waterways fall under the protection of the Clean Water Act and other federal laws. The current WOTUS definition, the Navigable Waters Protection Rule, was finalized in 2020. The rule includes four narrowly defined categories of waterways, territorial seas and navigable waters, perennial and intermediate tributaries, certain lakes, ponds, and impoundments, and wetlands adjacent to jurisdictional waters. 
The rule left out protections for waterways that are dry for part of the year, known as ephemeral streams and isolated wetlands. The 2020 rule allowed Indiana lawmakers to draft a bill that ultimately removed water protections for half of Indiana's remaining 800,000 acres of wetlands and weakened those protections that were allowed to remain. To register and zoom into one of the meetings, Google EEPA to hold public meetings on WOTUS definition. The Indiana Environmental Reporter says researchers from Indiana University will study how toxic pollutants from decommissioned military facilities are affecting members of a remote community of indigenous people in Alaska. Amina Salamova, associate scientist at IU's O'Neill School of Public and Environmental Affairs, and a team of researchers were awarded a $2.9 million grant from the National Institutes of Health to find out what risks the indigenous Yupik people face from pollutants released from two former Air Force bases near the U.S.-Russia border. The bases were built on St. Lawrence Island during the Cold War and were shuttered decades ago, but local residents said cleanup efforts were incomplete. Researchers from IU and other universities previously found high levels of toxic PCBs, organochlorine pesticides, and other organic contaminants in the land and animal life. Blood tests of Yupik residents found levels of PCBs up to 10 times higher than in other Americans. Quote, We know that some of the contamination can be attributed to things like hazardous materials and construction debris from the former military sites, but we also know that Arctic communities are disproportionately impacted by long-range transport of persistent organic pollutants as they travel through the air and ocean currents, end quote, Salamova told IU. The scientists will collect air, water, and food samples along with blood from people directly exposed to contaminants. The study of PFAS chemicals in the breast milk of 50 Seattle women found detectable levels in all of them. PFAS chemicals, which stand for pear and polyfluoral alkyl substances, are a class of over 4,000 chemicals. First developed in the mid-20th century, they're present in the blood of 98% of the U.S. population. Contained in everything from firefighting foam to carpets, nonstick pans, and food packaging, PFAS are also in food, indoor air and dust, and in drinking water in some communities. The study was a collaboration between researchers at IU, the University of Washington's Children's Research Institute, and Toxic Free Future, the journal Environmental Science and Technology, published the findings. Ongoing research by the National Institutes of Health and other agencies is examining the potential human health impacts of PFAS. After two decades of research, the chemicals' impacts are uncertain. PFAS disrupt the immune and endocrine systems in laboratory animals and also reduce birth weights and can cause liver toxicity. Thanks to a citizen petition and a 2020 investigation, 
McDonald's pledged that by 2025, it would cease using PFAS in all packaging. The company uses PFAS to resist grease. In Washington State, the environmental agency, called the Ecology Department, passed a 2018 law requiring a ban on PFAS in food packaging once safer and cost-efficient alternatives become available. In Texas, the governor, 63 Democratic legislatures, five counties, and three cities have joined together to oppose storage of highly radioactive waste at a facility in Andrews County on the border with New Mexico. Despite the strong local, state, and national opposition, the Nuclear Regulatory Commission could license the facility in the next 30 days. The plan would allow importation and storage of 40,000 metric tons of waste from nuclear reactors around the country. If the plan is approved, unprecedented mass transport of spent nuclear fuel could occur in a process lasting decades. A single rail car could carry as much plutonium as was contained in the bomb dropped on Nagasaki at the end of the Second World War. The study found that cleanup of radioactive contamination from an accident could cost as much as $9.5 billion just for one square mile of downtown area. Importing high-level nuclear waste could risk the health and safety of today's children and future generations. There would be increased risks of transportation accidents, leaks, or sabotage along the nation's transportation routes. Exposure to radioactivity can cause various cancers, genetic damage, birth defects, and death. Mexican gray wolves, or lobos, native to the southwestern U.S., once came about as close to extinction as a species can without disappearing forever. The first conservation effort designed to save them started with only seven lobos. By 2020, 186 lobos existed in the wild, a 14% increase over the previous year. Like many other large predators in North America, lobos were the victims of state and federal extermination campaigns designed to wipe them out to protect livestock. The Endangered Species Act came to their rescue. When lobos were listed for protection by the Act in 1976, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service sprang into action to save them. The service captured several wild lobos to ensure that a population could survive in captivity and preserve the species. The captive population grew, and then, in 1998, captive-born lobo pups were released into the wild for the first time. This year marked the fifth consecutive year of population growth for this endangered population. Guided by the Endangered Species Act, the release effort has continued. In 2021, a record 22 captive-born lobo pups were placed in wild dens to be raised by wild wolves. Thawing permafrost is compromising part of the Trans-Alaska Pipeline System, which connects crude oil drilled in the Arctic to tankers in the port of Valdez, highlighting how a warming climate is reshaping the oil industry in Alaska. While there is no immediate threat of an oil spill, Alaska Pipeline Service Company, the 
pipeline operator discovered buckling supports that hold the pipe above ground. Alyeska, a consortium of oil and gas companies, will install underground coolers as a solution to protect the integrity of the pipeline from permafrost degradation. Bill Karam, executive direction of Pipeline Safety Trust, said the pipeline does not appear to be in immediate danger of a severe failure, such as a collapse that could lead to an oil spill. But, he said, this finding and the necessary remediation could be the harbinger of things to come as temperatures rise. The International Climate Justice Organization, 350.org, has begun a new campaign aimed at the U.S. Federal Reserve Bank. U.S. banks have collectively funneled $1.2 trillion into fossil fuels in the past six years since the Paris Climate Accord was signed. This is the money that keeps corporations like Shell, Exxon, and BP alive. The big banks aren't going to stop financing climate chaos on their own. They've told the public that quite clearly. According to 350.org, there's a way to stop them. It's the U.S. Federal Reserve Bank's job to do it. The Federal Reserve System is a referee of the economy. Not only does it have the legal authority to make fossil fuel finance less desirable and possibly set limits on the financing of fossil fuels, it's the Fed's responsibility. Climate chaos is a disaster for us all, including our economy. But under the current leadership of Chair Jerome Powell, the Fed is failing on climate. Instead of supporting black, brown, and indigenous communities hit hardest by the climate crisis and COVID-19, Powell's Fed bailed out the planet-killing fossil fuel industry to the tune of billions. 350.org contends that oil and gas corporations aren't suddenly going to stop fracking and drilling because it's the right thing to do. It's going to take the full weight of the climate movement pushing the Fed in order to stop them. President Biden can nominate a climate leader to the Federal Reserve and do his part for the climate. Parts of the Arctic region, called the Last Ice Area, are already showing a decline in summer sea ice, researchers report. In a rapidly changing Arctic, the area might serve as a refuge, a place that could continue to harbor ice-dependent species while conditions in nearby areas become inhospitable. The region is north of Greenland and the islands of the Canadian Arctic archipelago. Last August, sea ice north of Greenland showed its vulnerability to the long-term effects of climate change, according to a study in Communications, Earth, and Environment. The thinking is that this area may be the last refuge for ice-dependent species. So if, as the study shows, it may be more vulnerable to climate change than people have been assuming, says lead author Alex Schweiger, a polar scientist at the University of Washington's Applied Physics Laboratory. How the last ice-covered regions will fare matters for polar bears that use the ice to hunt for seals, that use the ice for building dens for their young, and for walruses that use the ice as a platform for foraging. Quote, This area has long been expected to be the primary refuge for ice dependent species, 
because it is one of the last places where we expect summer sea ice to survive in the Arctic, end quote, says author Kristen Ladra, a principal scientist at the university's Applied Physics Laboratory. For Eco Report, I'm Patrick Callanan. Are you looking for a way to make a difference on environmental issues? Here at Eco Report, we are currently looking for reporters, engineers, and segment producers. Our goal is to report facts on how we're all affected by climate disruption and the ongoing assaults on our air, land, and water. We also celebrate ecologists, tree huggers, soil builders, and an assortment of champions who actively protect and restore our natural world, particularly those who are active in south-central Indiana. All levels of experience and all ages are welcome, and we provide the training you'll need. WFHB also offers internships. To volunteer for EcoReport, give us a call at 812 312- Three two three one two zero zero, or email us at earth at wfhb.org. And now for our events calendar. Enjoy a lake hike at Spring Mills State Park on Saturday, August 7th, from 10 to 10.50 a.m. Meet naturalist Morgan at the Lakeview Activity Center for a hike around the lake on Trail 5. Learn about the history of the lake and the water system. The hike is one mile long and partially rugged. There will be a karst discovery hike at McCormick's Creek State Park on Saturday, August 7th from 2 to 3 p.m. The subterranean expanse beneath our feet is home to one of Earth's last frontiers, and McCormick's Creek State Park possesses a unique window into that world. Learn exactly what karst is. Meet naturalist Atticus at the Nature Center for a rugged hike to and through Wolf Cave. Look for the roving naturalist at Paintown State Recreation Center campground at Lake Monroe on Wednesday, August 11th from 5.45 to 7.45 p.m. to learn about conifers. You'll learn tricks for identifying native coniferous trees in southern Indiana. The naturist is going to teach you how to recognize the ones at the lake. Join folks at Goose Pond Fish and Wildlife Area on Friday, August 13th from 10 to 11 p.m. for meteors and s'mores. Bring the family out to watch the fabulous Perseids meteor shower while enjoying a treat over the fire. DNR staff will provide treats and keep the campfire going. Wear appropriate clothing and footwear suitable for the outdoors and bring bug spray. Lawn chairs or blankets are recommended. Register for this event at ndavenportmikusak at dnr.in.gov and explore Monroe Lake paddling trip at the Allens Creek State Recreation Area is scheduled for Sunday, August 15th from 6 to 8 p.m. This paddling trip allows you to see backwaters, wetlands, bays, and slow-moving streams. You will need at least two hours of paddling experience. Bring your own canoe or kayak, or you can rent one. 
Registration is required by August 11th at bit.ly slash explore dash AUG15 dash 2021. And that wraps up our show for this week. Eco Report is brought to you in part by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water, solar electricity, and solar hot air systems. NPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. Found locally at 812-334-4003 and on the web at mpisolarenergy.com. This week's headlines were written by Norm Holy and Linda Green. Today's feature was produced by IU reporter Nathaniel Weinsaffel. David Lyman assembled the script, and Patrick Hallinan and Linda Green edited it. Juliana Daly compiled our events calendar. Patrick Hallinan engineered today's show. For WFHB, I'm Patrick Hallinan, and this is Eco Report. <laughs>